Welcome to the Lucas Miles Show. You know, recently I was on set of the film Unbroken Pathway to Redemption. It's the continuation of the story of Louis Zamperini. And I had the opportunity briefly to be introduced to Will Graham. And I was just so impressed with him and just his heart, his humility. And I just had to get him on the show. As luck would have it, we ended up kind of being in the same city at a future date at the same time. And I was able to sit down with Will Graham. You might know him as Billy Graham's grandson or possibly Franklin Graham's son. But regardless of his family legacy, I'm telling you, this guy is a powerful man of God who really has a heart to see people's lives transformed. Will is a vice president and the associate evangelist of Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and he also serves as the executive director of the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove in North Carolina. Will and I sat down in Fort Wayne, Indiana, of all places, and we chat about his ministry, his family legacy, and ultimately the name of Jesus. Here he is, the man himself, Will Graham. Will, I want to thank you for being on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. It's a real honor to have you here. Your family has made such a difference in the lives of so many people, not just in our country, but around the world. I mean that. It's a real honor. Oh, well, thank you. That's very kind of you. We've been blessed, that's for sure. So what's it like? I know you get this question all the time, but you're in this legacy family. You know, I know people have called you guys the royal family of the faith and different things like that. What's it really been like for you? I don't know anything different, I mean, to be honest. I mean, I've grown up in this family. It's the only thing I know. I was born as Billy Graham's grandson. I'll die as Billy Graham's grandson, so (laughs) I don't know anything different. Now, but I know things are different, you know, but to me, this is everyday life. You know, we grew up very much normal. I grew up in the country. I mean, I grew up on a farm. Mom and dad that loved each other uh, took us to church. I went to school. I got in trouble at school. I went to a Public school, I mean, just did everything that was normal. Played sports, played on the sports teams. Uh, everything else was, for the most part, normal. The only thing I didn't, I, I never got into big trouble. Yeah. I was always a pretty good kid. Now, my dad, on the other hand, was <laughs> he was a different story, but I think I was so scared of getting punished or something, you know, I didn't misbehave. Uh, yep. Mom and dad made sure, I mean, we did. I mean, there's three brothers and a sister that came a lot later. And uh, so us three boys, I mean, we terrorized uh, Boone, North Carolina. I mean. If we went into the local Belks, there was not a mannequin that was safe. I mean, we were, <laughs> so we weren't always the best kids, but we never got into serious trouble. We never rebelled against our mom and dad. We always yeah. loved mom and dad. We always, the rule was, as long as we're under their roof, uh, their rules. I grew up normal, I guess. And yeah. so it was always nothing different being Billy Graham's grandson. I got in trouble, but I had friends that liked me, some that didn't. So that's, that's how awesome. it goes. I always tell people I'm a recovering legalist. I grew up in kind of, you know, legalistic mindset. And I loved God enough to be miserable. I was too afraid of crossing a line so yeah. I could go right up to it. But that saved me from a lot of trouble. It does. I was very thankful for that. So yeah. did you always want to be an evangelist? When did that really start? I guess as every kid, you got your own dreams of being the, the quarterback of the the Super Bowl team, you know, on the last minute play. I mean, we all want to be the Tom Brady's or, you know, whoever the good quarterback might be at the time, you know. But, you know, we want to be that, you know, I don't know, football. I never played football, but, you know, you always dream. But early on, I found myself, I don't remember a calling when God started 
just said, boom, here it is. Mm-hmm. But I look back and I see a breadcrumb. And I see things from when I was like in the second grade, the teacher said, draw a picture of what you want to do. And I drew two pictures. I drew a, an open Bible. I wanted to preach God's word. And I drew a pair of David Clark headsets. Now, and most people are going to say, what in the world are David Clark headsets? This is what aviators would use. Sure. This is ugly 1970s green yep. headphones, but they're real good ones, uh, David Clark, and uh, had a microphone on it with headphones, and that's what pilots would use to communicate with. And so I wanted to fly around and tell people about Jesus. Well, looking back, that may have been breadcrumb number one, in a sense. And there were some other things that came along my life where God just set me apart. I remember going to church and went forward one day. I already given my life to Christ. This time I had gone forward to say, I want to be used of God. In a sense, the mission field. I didn't feel like I was being called to missions, but I wanted to go and tell people about Jesus. And so I went forward, and I don't know, that was maybe when I was about 12, 13 years old. And then about 15, I remember getting on my knees and saying, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I still didn't feel what it was to be doing. I just felt right. surrendered. Mm-hmm. And so it wouldn't be until 2004 that God would allow me to go and preach with my heels uh, dug in the sand. But I went <laughs> and preached and evangelistically, I was pastoring a church. This time I'd be doing it for the BGEA, so um, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. So That's awesome. that was in 2004. That's awesome. I started preaching at 17. So oh, it's, man. Uh, you're you're earlier than me. Ages and, yeah, I can remember that 15-year-old. you know, year old, Kind of getting that call and having no idea, you know, and maybe yeah. someday still not knowing what that really, yeah. that road's going to take. That's, that's why right. it's called faith, though. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about this idea of, if we stay in this vein of talking about the ministry of your family. I've heard you say some things that I think were really powerful about that you can't inherit a ministry, <clears throat> that you can inherit a lot of other things. Can you talk to me about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, people always make the comment saying, oh, yeah, I see you're in the family business. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I know what they mean, and I'm not offended about it. And just, But I'm always quick to point out, well, it's, it's not a family business. There's a lot of things you can inherit. I can inherit, I got a big nose, all right? That's a grand feature, <laughs> you know, big nose. Dark hair, I mean, there's sure. things that we can inherit. When your parents pass away, you can inherit their home. You can inherit their business. You can inherit debt, I mean, whatever <laughs> right. it might be. You can inherit it. There's some things you can pass on. But there's one thing you can't pass on, that ministry. Because mm. ministry belongs to the Lord. If it's the Lord's, then he gives it to who he wishes. So for my grandfather, my grandfather was given this ministry by God to go around the world and proclaim the gospel. And my grandfather's still alive, but he's kind of turned those reins over. And when he was looking at turning those reins over, he said, you know, uh, he asked his board, you know, I want Franklin to run it. And they prayed about it and said, yes, we believe that this is what God wants. So my dad took over. Is it mine? One day someone said, I guess you're the next one. No, it, it's not mine to inherit. I'm just a servant of the Lord. If the Lord yeah. gives it to me, so be it. So there's some things you can inherit, some things you can't. Ministry is one of them. God gives it to whom he wishes. So I think that's a really healthy perspective. And I think especially in just the legacy family that you're in, I think that that demonstrates humility. Mm-hmm. And to me, says even more why you are doing what you're doing and why God continues to use your family in that well, thank way. thank you. Absolutely. So talk to me. We're here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Yeah. I grew up in South Bend about two hours oh. from here, so uh, kind of close to home for me. We have uh, happening this weekend a uh, Will Graham celebration, correct? That's right. All right. Tell us a little bit about that and what happens. Well, you know, most people are familiar with the Billy Graham crusade. It's the same thing, all right? Now, you know, maybe granted, I'm not going to have a stadium of 100,000 people, okay? 
but it's the same idea. It's where we come in. We've been working on this one for a couple of years. This one, we had to shift some dates around, and mm-hmm. between my calendar and the community's calendar, we yeah. had to shift things around, and so we had to push it back a little bit. So now we're here at uh, Fort Wayne. So we've been here for a while, been talking about the city. They've invited me to come, just like my grandfather. My grandfather says, ooh, I know what, let's go to Pasadena and hold a crusade. My grandfather, my dad and I, we only come at an invitation. That's always been the case. The people in this community have invited me to come. Uh, we got over 150 churches involved. And so just like a Billy Graham crusade, we come in, we teach people uh, how to share their faith. We get publicity going, talking about it, you know, um, advertising for it but really working through the local churches to help the local churches, uh, one, be prepared to bring people. The second thing is prepare for people to come back into their church, new believers. And once I leave town here in a few days, that it will continue to grow in, in the sense that there's we've trained people to share their faith. So this is going to continue to go on and on and on and on, even right. when I'm gone, that we'll still see people come to know Christ because people have been trained to share their faith here in their community. And I don't have extremely intimate knowledge of this, but I've seen at least from a distance, there continue to be a greater focus within the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association on partnerships with local churches mm-hmm. and really how to continue the work of this after the crusade leaves mm-hmm. town and that discipleship component. How is that working with this? And really what sort of recommendations are you giving to local pastors today to be able to take this on? My grandfather realized that early in, I mean, I'm talking about early on in the 40s. Matter of fact, the LA would not have been the first one, but one of the earlier ones, that uh, he would even start this process saying, you know what, I want more. He would come at one church's invitation for Youth for Christ mainly. And then uh, he said, you know what, there's a whole bunch of other churches that want to help be a part of this. You know, they want their young people to come. He said, let's do something big for the whole community. So early on in his career, he realized, get this broadest church support you can get. We'll work with every denomination, every church that wants to help reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not joining them. They're joining our crusade, that local crusade for the time being. And so it's a community-wide denomination. It's all over the place, but it's for one purpose to tell people about Jesus Christ. What we try to do is get churches involved where they can have their church members come and participate. We need lots of volunteers. Uh, We need counselors. Once these people come to faith in Christ, over the weekend, these people are going to start coming back into their church. So they need to have things ready to receive new people, you know, new believers and how to disciple them and, you know, help to grow them in their new walk with Jesus Christ. So we meet with pastors from time to time. Um, you know, I know pastors. I was a pastor, so I know how busy pastors can get. I mean, you can't go to every meeting in the world. Right. So, you know, we just need someone. We try and encourage pastors to get, you know, get someone from your church that can help be the leader of at least from your church, you know, that can help organize it. And so we've seen over 150 churches here in the Fort Wayne area uh, come together, which is a broad support from all different types of denominations. So, and we're grateful for every one of them, that's for sure. Historically, Christians are not the best always at working together. That's right. And, you know, we all (laughs) love each other, but we don't always like each other, right? It's kind of how it plays out at times. And I think the world sees that. And that's probably been one thing that's turned people off to the church to some Mm -hmm. degree. You know, you guys are bringing denominations together people together from a lot of different backgrounds and theological beliefs. Beyond the Sunday school answer of Jesus, what's really the the glue that holds that together as you guys approach that? It is Jesus. I mean, that's one thing that we all agree on. Yeah. Jesus changes lives. I think the second thing is that really holds it all together is prayer. Mm. You know, that Satan is wanting to tear Christians apart. He wants to see the division in the churches, and he wants to see the separation. He wants to see the denominations go after each other. And 
You know, but when people come together in the name of Jesus, that's the one thing that yeah. does unite every denomination, basically, is the name of Jesus. And that doesn't mean that every denomination is going to be supportive of it. I understand. But they all believe that Jesus is the way. What's nice about that is when we have prayer and that sense of unity in prayer, Jesus being our ultimate person that we're responsible to and telling people about Jesus, most of the time we can agree about that. That's why we don't try to get into baptisms or other doctrines or something like that. We try to keep it as simple as possible so that every denomination said, you know what, well, we can be a part of this. Yeah, this is great. And because of my granddaddy's longevity and the, the history he's had with so many churches that, that you know they trust the name Billy Graham. And so they're, they're more apt to be a lot more supportive and helpful and, and work together because of that. So I'm grateful for my granddaddy's good name that God's given him. That's awesome. Are you looking to stay connected with current events, culture, religion, and all sorts of other news? Then faithwire.com is the place to do that. Hop over there, make sure and check out faithwire.com, the exclusive home to the Lucas Miles Show. Also for all things news, especially with positivity. It's so easy to get bombarded by all the negative news that's out there. And that's one reason why I love faithwire.com and why I've chosen to work with them for the launch of the Lucas Miles Show. It's just a great place to be able to go and get all of your information in one place, stay connected with the world's happenings, and leave with a smile. So check out faithwire.com and make sure and like them on Facebook. And now, back to our guest on the Lucas Miles Show. You mentioned the word, the simplicity or the simple gospel. Again, your family has really pioneered the ability to communicate the gospel with a brevity that is easily consumable for somebody that might come from a background that's not of the Christian faith or might be new to the church. For the people listening today or watching today on on, uh, our live stream here, what is the gospel in its simplest format and how would you communicate that to somebody on the street today? We don't need to make it complicated. It's real simple. You know, that there's a there's a God who created this world and created every person, everything in it, created you, created me, created every person, you know, those who are watching, those who are listening, you know, God created you and God wants to have a relationship with you, but there's something that stands in the way that is called sin. And the Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all broken God's laws, whether we know it or not. Yeah. It's kind of like if I go to a foreign country and I do something, I say, well, I didn't know better. I still broke the law. I'm a right. lawbreaker, whether I knew it or not. And, um, and ignorance may, is no excuse. That's right. One is used as an excuse, right. but in their eyes, you, you broke it. Yes. You know? Inside, our gut tells us that we're guilty. I mean, we know that we're guilty. Now, we may be a good person, especially when we look around and compare ourselves to everybody else. And we say, oh, we're, we're, I'm good, and, but we're not perfect. You know, we're not as good as God. And that's when uh, God said, you know what, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. You know, there's no one to pay your price for your transgressions, your sin. So I'm going to pay it for you because I love you that much. I want to pay this bill for you. And so I'm going to pay it. And the only way I can, the price was God's own son, Jesus. Jesus came to live in this world, to live a perfect life and to die on the cross and shed his blood for my sin and your sin. And he's paid the price, and he gives it to you freely as a gift. He said, all I want to do is forgive you. Just ask for it. Forgiveness. I paid the price. 
And uh, people say, well, that's too simple. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the beauty why, of it. That's why it is, because you don't have to buy it. This is not for rich people only. Right. You don't have to be smart. I mean, you don't have to be educated to get this. It's just simple. It's, it's for anybody. And But yet, sometimes people, the simplicity of it is so staggering to people. They say, that can't be it. You know, i, I got to do something. Yeah. And that God says, no, just receive it. Yeah. I love the verse that says that God makes things simple. It's man that complicates them. And I think that when you see, this is something I talk about a lot, we all want to add something to Jesus. And the reality is Jesus plus nothing equals everything, That's right. you know, but what it, but Jesus plus something, whether it's our works or our, you know, our own self-righteousness, our efforts or those sort of things. I mean, that equals nothing. It, it doesn't amount to it. And really it is that almost too good to be true message. If it's the guy knocking on your door as a vacuum salesman or something like that, you go, oh, this sounds too good. But the reality is it is, it is almost too good to be true. And that's the beauty of it. There's a lot of people indebted to the simplicity with which you guys have been able to communicate that and I'm looking forward to seeing that for years to come just through your ministry. So I appreciate that. talk to me a little bit about Romania. This has been a country that's been important to you and to your family. Romania is one of those uh, countries, at least in my granddaddy's lifetime, my lifetime for the most part of my lifetime, has been behind what we call the Iron Curtain. So it was really closed for the gospel for most of the 20th century. My granddaddy went there a number of years ago and was able to preach in Romania. It's one of those things, for those, maybe some of your listeners will know what OSHA is. They're the, like the safety police and the yep. on job sites <laughs> and at work. They're the ones that say ladders and yeah, yeah. ladders and all that type stuff, safety harnesses. All right. All right. This is where OSHA would go nuts because in Romania, I mean, I remember like, I mean, there'd be like hundreds of people on the rooftops. You know, I can just see the you know, people building codes up like this and say, but that's what was so cool. There were so many people come out to see my grandfather. They've been starved of religion. They were starved of God for mm-hmm. decades upon decades. And now here my grandfather goes behind the Iron Curtain, which was ironically because my grandfather took a lot of heat for that. Yeah. Especially by the religious right, because they thought my granddaddy was selling out America to the communists in a sense. And it was being used by the communists. And my granddaddy said, well, if they use me, I'm going to use them to, to preach mm-hmm. the gospel. You know, and people want to hear the gospel. So yeah. It opened up some doors for us over there. My dad's been able to go there to preach. I'll be the third person. I've never been to Romania, so I don't know what to expect personally. But I'm looking forward to it and being able to preach. Uh, it'd be one of the few countries that all three of us have been able to have the privilege to preach in. So You're headed there this month, correct? I'm headed there next week. Next so, week? Okay. So very soon. All right. All right. Very good. Well, I'm excited to hear how that goes. Your family's a unique family in that you guys have had opportunity to speak into presidents' lives. Mm. We're in a place today where there's potentially more division in our country, at least on the surface, than maybe since the 60s. And what sort of message do you have for this country today as we really strive towards hopefully regaining unity and a sense of morality again in America? There's only one thing that can unify us, and that's the name of Jesus. I know Christians are divided, especially when it comes to politics, social issues. There are a lot of tough decisions to make. And sometimes we want to go with what's popular. We want to go with the crowd because it's easier. We don't have to get booed or hissed at you know, because yeah. we said something different. But that's what I love about our Constitution. We have the right to disagree with the majority or with the minority, for that matter. Yeah. Both sides have a right to be heard. And most Christians, they may come off with the wrong attitude, you know, like that. Their mind might be in the right place, but their heart may be in the wrong place, you know, with the way they go about doing it. 
and I can understand, but you know, this is a time when the only thing that can change people's lives is the one who made the life, and that's mm. Jesus. The only one that can change a heart is the only one who made the heart, that is Jesus. And so when Jesus starts coming into our hearts, it starts to change us. It start, we start to become more like him. And what we've done in our world, we've shoved God out of everything. We're shoving God out of politics. We're shoving God out of schools. We're shoving God out of society. And then we turn around and say, man, why are things getting so bad? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, we push God out. Right. But when we invite God back in, he'll start to change our society. We'll start to see change in our society. But it's not going to happen until Jesus Christ comes back into it, until we allow him to influence our life on an individual basis. And then it trickles into our communities, our states, and our country. Yeah, and I, I think the world doesn't change by the collective. It changes by individuals making a decision to walk in love, individuals making a decision to share their faith, do what you were sharing about, you know, maybe sometimes, you know, Christians, we get a little overzealous and try to force. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul where he first comes to the church and the language it uses in Acts is that he's debating and he's arguing and he's convincing and proving. And it says that basically it was such a time of turmoil, they had to send him away. And then he went through this whole discipleship process and spent time growing in the Lord. And then he comes back and man, he's a different guy. You know, he's able to walk in love and really be able to share that right, through Barnabas's impact in his life, et cetera. And so I think that's so important for us as believers to see that individual efforts that we make in order to be able to share the gospel. I've heard you say something about that, where you talked about that really what you guys do is you share the gospel individually on a massive level. Yeah. Talk to me about that. People say, well, mass evangelism. Why do you guys keep doing mass evangelism? And I always say, we don't believe in mass evangelism. We believe evangelism done one-on-one, we just do it on a large scale. And you're saying, mm, that's a play on word. Yes and no. It, it is just for the sake of argument it is, but in practice it's done differently. And what we try to do is it's just not me trying to witness to people. It's when you see those people that come to know Christ at a Billy Graham crusade and you see those thousands of people running forward or walking forward to give their life to Christ, what you see is 80% of those people, we've kept the statistics, 80%, 8 out of 10 of them will come forward because somebody brought them. They've been witnessed to before. Wow. And so they've been being witnessed by a friend. And so this person's already been witnessing to them over and over and over and over again. And now it just happens to be come to a crusade because they've been invited. My granddaddy preaches that they come forward. And he catches the fish, if we use Christianese terms, you know, they catch the fish. But it was the other one that's been fishing the whole time that's made it possible, you know. And so they've been evangelizing the whole time, one-on-one. Mm. But then it just comes to a one point where all these people have brought their all friends. All these one-on-ones come ones in. come together yes. on a massive scale. And then that's at the crusade. And so that's why I'm saying this is just a tad bit different because this person's already been witnessed to yeah. a number of times by an individual. That's powerful. With our limited vantage point as people, you know, we don't always see the impact that those individual seeds that are planted. Yeah. And, you know, it's, that's really powerful. What's it like being up on the stage and you see hundreds of people coming forward and giving their life to the Lord? What's going on in your mind at that moment? I remember sitting on the stage with my grandfather number of times, and, and my dad for that matter. I remember all the people coming forward, and you, when you sit on the stage with my grandfather, then you're looking at all these people as they come forward. You can see all their faces, and it's like, man, I'm just, and I see them crying, I see them weeping, and I start to weep, because mm. I'm moved. I'm getting touched by this, you know, seeing people's lives broken, and, and I'm like, how am I ever going to do this? 
how am I going to ever be an evangelist? I'd be sitting, you know, crying, I can't believe it. You know, they'd be, you know, <laughs> slopping over my words and stuff like that. I mean, I get real emotional. But as I started to preach myself and I started doing invitations, God gave me the strength. I mean, I'm sitting there rejoicing. Now, am I still broken? I still see your broken heart there, and I see someone just sobbing before the Lord. Especially like when you see a husband and wife, like a husband comes forward, and the wife, she's just crying there beside her husband because she's so happy. You know, you can see him, he's sobbing because of sadness, of remorse, of turning back to God, where yeah. one lady, she's crying, but it, it smiles on her face because she's like, I've been praying for my husband all these years. Yeah. And you see the two contrasts going on right beside each other. But I love the invitation because that's what the whole point is. That's what all this works about is the invitation. It's not even the sermon, it's the invitation to bring people to Christ. And that's what I get the most excited about. All right, so we need to come to a close here, but if people want to find out more about you, where do they go to do that? Uh, the best place to go is uh, our website, billygram.org. Awesome. Okay, and we'll include uh, some notes on there as well. I know you got a lot of projects coming up. Hopefully we can have you back on in the future to talk more about those. All right, bless you. We're praying for your trip to Romania as well. No, thank you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed listening so far to The Lucas Miles Show, then I would like to invite you to head over to my website at lucasmiles.org. That's lucasmiles.org. And there you can find all sorts of goodies like my ebook, Unstoppable Grace, as well as my book, Good God. Also, if you haven't yet gone to lucasmiles.org slash missing chapter, you can go there and you can download a super secret chapter x we're calling it that didn't make it into good god but i think it's got all sorts of great material and resources for you so in the topic of that chapter is the story of authority so make sure and head over there and grab that it's at lucasmiles.org slash missing chapter and please let us know what you think